football. It's America's game, America's favorite sport. The hard hits, the passion, the speed, the scheming. There's nothing like it. And now, for a breakdown of everything Vikings football and beyond, it's the Morris and Moss Podcast. Here's the superstar Mike Morris and NFL Network's Randy Moss. And welcome back to the Morris and Moss Podcast. Uh, superstar Mike Morris, Randy Moss from the NFL Network, and of course the big voice. Manny Hill, you'll hear him chirping from time to time. We have to go to the crack staff every now and then for archives. So, uh, and if there is an archivist uh, that deserves that kind of recognition, it would be the big voice, Manny Hill. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings. We told you we'd come back and give you a full report on the Vikings. You also remember that Randy Moss from the NFL Network was holed up at the Ritz-Carlton in Cleveland, Ohio with Troy Aikman. And uh, and the likes of uh, who else was on the, the, the big crew? That's that's the A crew, right? Fox, the Fox team. Yeah, this there. Fox team. Yeah, Joe Buck, Troy Aikman. That, that's uh, that's the, the A squad. So there was a little bit that happened in Cleveland, and there was game a little. That we we're going to talk about later, and we're, that's what I, I wanted to tee that up. <laughs> we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, Mason Rudolph and uh, and Miles Garrett and the skirmish and how things sort of played out. I got my I got my own way of looking at that thing, and we will discuss that in length. Trust me on that. Uh, but as far as the Vikings go, two incredibly different halves of football in the way they were played. There's always two different halves. Doesn't matter what game you play. It's always two halves. But the Vikings played two incredibly different games in the first, from the first to the second. They jumped from one spectrum to the other. They went it, though, eventually 27-23 against a Denver squad that could do no wrong. Coming out of the gates, Randy Moss, did you see it going like that to begin with? Uh, I mean, coming out of the tunnel, cold as ice. No, no, obviously. I mean, we both thought that playing at home, that uh, the, it was going to be all sorts of problems for Brandon Allen, and and the Vikings defense was going to be able to just pin their ears and, and tee off on him. And a, a kid that had only had one NFL start under his belt was going to be in big trouble coming in in an atmosphere like that. And Boy, it sure didn't look like that for the first 30 minutes of the game, did it? No. Brandon Allen comes out and looks like, um, I don't know how I know how to put it. I mean, the kid was playing as as well as anyone could expect. A, you know, a kid on two starts. Uh, he looked like Chase Daniels out there. He, he was fast. He was elusive. The ball was pinpoint accurate, dropping it right down the smokestack on some of those big, tall, muscular receivers out there. But... The Vikings could not find an answer, and any time they did develop somewhat of a, of a momentum changer, they would shoot themselves in the foot, in the foot uh, turnovers, fumbles. The whole first half was in shambles, and they went into the half 20 to nothing. And you're thinking, maybe it's just time to put the popcorn away and uh, go lift some weights. Because this is not going to happen. We got two more two more quarters to go. May as well just go find something else to do because they couldn't do one thing right. What happens? They get the kickoff in the third quarter and off they go. I mean, like we expected them to play, but now there's you have to remember they're twenty down. Are they going to be able to have enough in the tank to come back and chase down 
the Denver Broncos with a defense that was ranked, as, as Randy put it very eloquently in the last episode of the Morris Moss podcast, I mean, they're ranked fourth going into this game, and they were playing lights-out football. The Vonnie Miller Show, along with everybody else, their defensive line off the charts, just stopping Dalvin Cook. I think we, I, I trained Randy over at uh, Lifetime Fitness today. We were talking about Dalvin Cook and the stats that he put up. Not typical numbers for him. 11? 11 carries for like 26 yards, I believe. I mean, exactly. they shut right. him down. The idea apparently was going to be to shut him down, not let him get started and uh, make Kirk Cousins go get it. And uh, I was I was surprised with that. I didn't think it would matter what, what anyone did. I, thought, I really thought that uh, Dalvin Cook would light the place up because he's just that kind of player. This was impressive uh, looking back on it now after the, after the full game was played, right? This was impressive on a lot of different levels. First of all, uh, no team in the NFL since 2014 has been able to come uh, back in the second half from a deficit of 20 points or more at halftime and win. And as you pointed out, uh, the Vikings had to do it against a, a fourth-rated defense. So that's – that's one feather in their cap, okay? Um, they, they did it with Dalvin Cook shut down. His longest run of the game was five yards. He averaged 2.4 yards per carry. The screen game that has been so powerful wasn't really there either for the most part. They did it again without Adam Thielen. Um, we also mentioned last week that the Vikings and the Broncos had the two best one-two punches at safety of any teams in the NFL. Well, the Vikings were without Anthony Harris for the whole game, and then Harrison Smith went out with a hamstring injury during the game. So they finished the game without either one of their of their star safeties. So despite all of this adversity, uh, the Vikings are still able to come from behind against a good defense and barely pull it out in the end, but pull it out nonetheless. You have to claw back. And the team that is 20 up with the quarterback issue, Flacco down, uh, Allen in, second start. They haven't scored a touchdown. The Broncos had not scored a touchdown in the first quarter all season long. (laughs) And they light the place up 20 to nothing. And and you're right. I mean, to be able to come back on that kind of defense and to have enough, I mean, you pretty much are telling them what you're going to have to do is pass to get back in it. Uh, and some of that screen game did come into play uh, a little bit later, later in the game. On, they finally right. found their rhythm a little bit with, that, with some of those screens out there. He didn't gain a lot of yards on the ground, but he was fairly effective in some of that screen game. But outside of that, the, you're, we had to reinvent everything again. Um, at the, uh, Al, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Alexander of um, – uh, what am I – what is his name? The kid, the second running back, Mackenzie Mad- Alexander. Mackenzie right. Alexander. No, Alexander uh, Madison. Oh, Madison, the running back. And, I mean, he was Madison, only in four right. times, five times, um, and I think he was only good for like five yards on, on about four. It just wasn't there. They were stopping everybody. So I'm sure he was down on, on uh, uh, spell outs for Dalvin Cook and to try and pick up some tough yardage for first downs and whatnot. That's how they used him. But I mean, they literally had to come clawing back with the running, with the passing game rather. And Kirk Cousins answers the bell, and and he he actually came back. I think, in a way that even we 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 should all say, you know, he's taken a different page, 
and uh, and turn the corner a little bit here when you come back on a defense like that uh, and to claw back from that. Let's face it, you, the numbers were zero and ninety nine for teams that had gone into the half this year at twenty or more down. Uh, guess what? We were the only ones that, that have come back, and it was Kirk Cousins uh, to the rescue. So he and Diggs, uh, Kyle Rudolph emer emerges again, and now you're looking at uh, a team that has found ways, and the good teams do that. They find ways to win games, and they're not supposed to necessarily, but you have to sort of reinvent yourself the way the Patriots do over and over and over again to overcome either injuries on an offensive line or whatever. Whoever's down, someone else has got to step in, and you sort of reinvent and play what's, what you're playing well and running well. But I had no idea it was going to come down to that. And, and what we've been doing well is running the ball and sort of you know nickel and diming without Adam Thielen. Well, we found other ways to do it, and that's, that's a good sign because we'll eventually get those players back. And, um, and we can start – you know, looking forward to uh, hopefully having Adam Thielen back in the lineup. Hopefully Harrison Smith will be okay. But uh, I was so surprised that, that the running game didn't work. So coming off the uh, the big primetime win in Jerry World in Dallas against the Cowboys, uh, Cousins against the Broncos goes 29 for 35, 319 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, passer rating 133.2. He did fumble again, which – as we've mentioned, it's it's part of his DNA, I think, is just the ball protection in the pocket is going to occasionally come back to haunt the Vikings He's a careless. little bit. He's careless. Uh, the Vikings have to hope it doesn't come up at an extremely adverse time, but it, once it happened against the Broncos. It, you know, every team in the NFL, with, with the parity that's in the league right now, you can say uh, every team has a weakness, right? Definitely. The 49ers, I would say, would be Jimmy Garoppolo right now. Okay? He may be, you know, he, sometimes he looks good, sometimes he looks rattled. New England, their offense is, is not exactly percolating right now. Uh, the Ravens, I'm not sure what their Achilles heel might be. Maybe if they get Lamar Jackson into a situation where he has to drop back and pass uh, 40 times a game, that could wind up as a problem. That's what the Chargers did to him last year. To me, the Vikings right now, I thought their Achilles heel was going to be the offensive line. That seems to be superseded now by the concerns in the secondary, primarily at corner. Uh, they have some pretty significant issues right now covering downfield passing at cornerback between Xavier Rhodes, Trey Waynes, Mike Hughes, Mackenzie Alexander, whatever. I mean, if – there are all sorts of ways to measure stats nowadays in the NFL. They have these chips in the ball and chips in the shoulder pads, all these next-gen stats. You can measure, for example, the effectiveness of a secondary against passes that are in the air for a certain length of time, certain length of yards. Against teams on plays in which the ball is in the air for 30 yards or more from the line of scrimmage, okay, the Vikings are the second worst defense in the NFL. They've given up 10 completions where the ball was in the air at 30 yards or more. The Raiders are the only other team that have given up more than the Vikings have. It makes sense. Now, it's a good news, bad news kind of thing, though. Okay, That's the bad news. That's their Achilles heel going forward. That's got to be a legitimate concern for Mike Zimmer and all the Vikings fans going forward. But with that, the Vikings are still winning. And if you're a believer – 
that this can improve, that these guys aren't that bad, and that Rhodes and Waynes, et cetera, can turn it around at least a little bit and get better, then that could turn out to be a, a real plus for the Vikings. No question. I mean, there are so many d- different things that they can do to address that, I think, right away and, and get that cleaned up. Uh, but the, but there are a couple glaring th- thoughts about Xavier Rhodes uh, and Trey Wayne is, is that they have both been around for a long time and they still do the same things that they were doing their rookie seasons. I mean, careless, uh, not thinking type plays for Xavier Rhodes. I mean, I just I see him as being very just a huge liability sometimes. Uh, they, they they found something with him they can go to and they they are going to him a lot now on that side. Trey Wayne's just always plenty of speed, doesn't trust himself to stay in coverage and cover without having his hands all over somebody. Pulling, strong-arming, whatever the case, same stuff he did at Michigan State. Well, it's not Michigan State anymore. It's the NFL, and they'll call it, and they do all the time on him. He's cleaned up his game more so than Xavier Rhodes has. In fact, I think Xavier has gone backwards the last season or so, and, and I've never have thought. I've never thought that he was a shutdown corner like so many people have, have tagged him. I never thought that. Uh, he doesn't play smart enough football for that to happen. He makes one blunder after another. It's always a mental blunder. Flags are always popping out. He's always either roughing someone or it's pass interference or something knucklehead that you can't be doing out there, especially someone of his caliber and making the money he's making. So, if anything, I think he's a, a huge liability that you can't change. The other thing that you brought up about the next-gen stats and the 30 yards in the air thing, that's just a reactional thing. And plus, we've been down players back there. They're not, they're not the actual players and the starters back there all the time, so they're reacting late, late on the football. And when it's in the air... Uh, guess what? It's you're already burnt, and you know if you're even, you're leaving in the NFL. So um, that's where we get caught up in that is inexperience and sloppy play. And Xavier Rhodes, I'm sorry, he's getting beat down the field too. Those some of those 30 yard passes are going right over the top of him and dropping right in. Yeah. So well, other teams are noticing it. And, yeah, and, they and are. They're coming after. They him. are. The, the Broncos came after him with Cortland Sutton. I yep. mean, time and time again, the Cowboys with Amari Cooper way downfield time and time again. Yep. Uh, to be fair, Trey Wayne stepped up pretty big on the last drive and the last few plays of the game. I agree. Uh, I, he had some great plays, and uh, was it Curse? So, I mean, he had great plays. He had two or three great plays, in, you know, in the end zone, the back, the back of the end zone a couple times, and they held him off. I mean, they held him off coming down the stretch. And the elite Viking defense that we've had – Two or three years now in a row, even though a little suspect this time around, this year, uh, we are finding ways to win, and when we have to, we do shut it off and get a stop, which is it was so crucial because the Broncos were finding ways. They were finding ways with that backup quarterback to get it done. The last play of the game, basically, when the Broncos had that shot in the end zone on fourth down. Who was defending on that? Was that Curse? Or I would say was it was Curse. That I mean, was Curse. He got pushed off on. At- Interesting. Yes. No offense. The tight end was right. the, was the intended and receiver. Fast and a very fast tight end. There was a lot of contact there, but Fant pushed off on Curse as the ball was getting there, and that's that's the main reason why he didn't catch the ball. That's it. The pass came in a lot hotter in than hot. he was expecting, and when he extended his arms to push off on Curse, he couldn't get his hands back up in time 
to catch the pass, and the ball basically hit him in the head. <laughs> I'm telling you, that ball was drilled. <laughs> it was on fire, and he, I'm telling you, he caught it with his face mask, and uh, it doinked off. But, yeah, one push, and he's eating the football. I mean, it was just already on him. I, it took us all by surprise on TV, I think. Watching it, it was like, yes. it's already there. It was amazing how th- hard that kid throws the football, but... That's that, slipping by by the skin of their teeth. Yeah, they, that but, really but is. They slip by. When, when it takes a tight end to illegally push off <laughs> and a quarterback to gun a football so hard that it's pretty amazing. Because he was turned and looking at the football even, and he just, the guy didn't finesse the football in there. He just uh, he laser-lighted the ball, and uh, we know the rest of the story. Uh, we'll take it, by the way. It's good to be on the other side of that for once. 27-23. Uh, the Vikings do get it done. We have a bye week. We draw a bye week. Then when we come back, it's going to be Seattle, Detroit, um, one more in there, uh, two more in there. Then it's Green Bay, Chicago for the last two. But uh, the Chargers, the San Diego Chargers, the archivist already on that one. Um, what did you used to do during your bye week? The key, the key to our bye week, I played for Dennis Green for eight years, and I'll, I'll, I'll say this. When he came in, as a, a brand-new head coach out of Stanford. Uh, he'd already coached a long, long time with the 49ers. Then he took the job at Stanford. Well, they, they, they brought him in, and he said, we're not going to lose going into bye weeks, and we're not going to lose coming out of bye weeks. That's one way. We're not going to lose to the Packers ever. We're not going to lose to the Bears ever, and that's going to be the M.O. around here. And if we do that, we're going to win the division and have a chance. You know, you win – you survive and advance through the playoffs, but you got to get in the playoffs. So that was his whole take. You win going in and out of the bye. You don't lose to the Packers or the Bears. Well, the first three years that he was here, 92, 3, and 4, we swept the Bears and the Packers all three years. Wow. And we swept in and out of the bye. And everything changed after that around around here. It got better and better, and we pulled some players in here and got the Randy Moss show going, you know, a little bit later in my career with the Vikings. But that was how he built. That was his whole mentality of going in. And how does it? How did it work? He said, "If you don't win going in, you won't win coming out." That was a Bill Walsh thing. It was a Bill Walsh thing, and he he fell right out of the tree of Bill Walsh with Mike Holmgren and. Some of those other uh, coaches that came off that tree, well, he practiced us as hard as he could practice going in and kept us miserable and edgy and squirrely all week long, didn't lay off. And when we came back, he, we, we came back a day early, and he let us get mad about that and pout over that, and we get over it, but we get our helmets back on. He'd hit us right away. There wouldn't be a little, you know, uh, you know, short gear practice. It was full pads going out and colliding as soon as we got back, and it was a day early. So Aaron Rodgers uh, said today as the Packers come off their bye this week that he usually, on his bye week, has left the country. This year he stayed home, maybe because he has Danica Patrick now. I don't know what, if that's the reason or not, but he decided that's to stay home. a fast home. lane to be in. So did you travel? Did, I mean, what, that, did anyone get that? Okay. Well, <laughs> fast lane. Yeah, fast lane. <laughs> Well, thank there you, you thank you, Drum roll, thank please. you, thank you very Let's much. Let's clank some iron. And, okay. <laughs> so, so what did you used to do during a bye week? Did you get out of town? Did you what? I would, you know, I had I had all the kids uh, were up and and uh, running around the house. It was just a good time to be at home and relax a little bit. Uh, try and get, <clears throat> try and mend 
uh, depending on when the bye week fell, I think this one falls perfectly. You know, in that last four or five games left of the season, uh, that this is a great time to get one. Uh, the team has a chance to mend, get some of these other players back. The, you know, the uh, uh, the Adam Thielens um, and Harrison Smith, those kinds of players are going to have a chance to get back on the field now because of the bye week. Did you watch football? <clears> I watched a lot of football? football. I you watched did. a lot. I enjoyed watching the other teams play. I loved having a Sunday off and going in and just watching them play. Uh, loved Sports Center. Loved Greg Berman uh, and um, uh, Tom Jackson. And I, and I would watch that just from start to finish. I loved it. And, and uh, you know, try and, try and get healed up. Uh, but uh, we, I think we took a trip maybe once or twice just up to Duluth just to get out of town. To Duluth with the kids, hotel, let them play, let them horse, get out by the big lake, and then come back home and uh, come back home early and uh, get back in shoulder pads. But that was it. I enjoyed, I enjoyed the time off, but it was, I didn't want to do anything extravagant because it takes you out of your head, out of your game. And we normally were playing good going in. You didn't want to come out with a funk or having done too much or just still tired. You know, you do so much, you're still tired. Um, some guys would come back after just throwing down. They go back to their college town, get back to a college football game, you know, back at the home, uh, the home stadium and, and just go ballistic and come back and just be blown up for like two days. And Denny knew that. So you get that out of them. That first day was getting that out of them, getting them back in their pads and feeling like they were alive still instead of dead on their feet. And uh, that was his mentality was get get all the rust off that could possibly be built up on that, not lose your momentum moving forward. And I think out of the eight seasons I played for Denny, I think we swept the in and out by week seven times, seven out of the eight. And we can look that up. But we had a great deal of success going in and out. I haven't looked at the stats on Mike Zimmer coming in and out of buys, um, but obviously the Vikings are going to have to be pretty sharp playing at CenturyLink in Seattle, which is, I think it's, well, obviously Seattle and Arrowhead are the two loudest stadiums, or at least they were before U.S. Bank. I'm not sure how the new stadium yeah, I think, the I think Vikings U.S. Bank rank. is right up there now. But they're the, you know, probably the three loudest venues in the NFL. I've been in Seattle in a, in a playoff game uh, on the field, and it's deafening. It's unbelievable. So, I've, I've, I've played in that stadium as well. And I mean, I don't know what it is about that. I, I really don't. It's just the, the, the acoustics and the way the stadium is built. I don't know why it is, but it is unbelievable. The, the Superdome used to be terrible. It used to be terrible to hear in. Uh, we had every silent count trick you could possibly use to get, you know, snap the ball on time and, you know, without getting offsides all, all, all day long. But... CenturyLink is a different beast. Arrowhead's a different beast. Um, used to be that Mile High was terrible. It was really bad. Um, the old DC Stadium, the old Redskin uh, ballpark, okay. RFK, yeah. was terrible. It was so loud. It was. It really was. And there was even a point where I thought that Soldier Field, before the renovation, was was an incredibly loud uh, stadium to play in. But. Uh, we're going to have our, our work Man. cut out for us. Uh, Russell Wilson is playing lights out, and uh, that's going to be a tough one. Vikings lost at Arrowhead. Now they get a chance to go play in Seattle. Uh, I'm guessing the Seahawks will be a point or two favorite playing at home. I would think. So, uh, yeah. We'll, we'll break down that game. I know a lot more next week. Now I'd like to thank some new people on the block with their sponsorship of the Morrison Moss Podcast, Essence Skin Clinic, located in downtown Rochester, Minnesota, right next to the Mayo Clinic. Get down there. They're qualified. 
They're staffed up with physicians, nurses, estheticians, and they're rated in the top 6% nationally. Now, they invite people from all walks of life, from all around the world, into their clinic. They've done that for 30 years now. Okay, They've hosted celebrities and dignitaries and queens from around the world for their skin care needs. Now, if you're looking for CBD products, they've got them. In fact, they've got serene premium CBD products. Uh, those are made using the highest quality industrial hemp manufactured in a GMP certified and FDA registered insured compliant facility. Now, you want to make sure you use your coupon. That's right. We have a coupon code, Superstar68, to receive 25% off your purchase. Now, here's the best part. You could go to EssenceSkinClinic.com, order it online, and they'll ship it to you right to your doorstep absolutely free. Not bad, huh? Get on down there and say hi to Jennifer Sandeman for me and let them know the superstar Mike Moore sent you down there. And then also I'd like to thank Dodge of Burnsville, The Office, Sneaky Pete's, and speaking of Pete, Pete Peterson's State Farm Agency. Get down there. Pete's got his own agency now. I used to work with him at Dodge of Burnsville, in fact. So we got a lot of overlapping sponsorship here from the past, but Pete and I used to do all the Dodge commercials down at Dodge of Burnsville. Well, not go over there and get your car insured at, 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 at his State Farm agency. He'll take great care of you, okay? Uh, and now back to the podcast. We will break it down, and I want to break down one more thing uh, before we before we wrap up uh, a bye week <clears throat> uh, episode of the, the Morris Moss podcast. But as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, you were in Cleveland, Ohio, yes, covering the Cleveland Browns and the and the Pittsburgh Steelers, yes. Well, there was there was a little thing that happened that night, no biggie. Just one of the one of the worst fights I think in 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 a in a long long time. I remember some big bench clearing brawls that never turned into that. But that incident stands out in my mind because I don't know if any of us have really seen a player use a helmet in a game situation like that and actually connect with it and. It was ugly. It was ugly. it looked terrible on TV. It probably was a lot more frightening to look at than what what actually did take place. And you and I, I training you at Lifetime again yes. uh, this afternoon, we talked about that. And I have my take, and you have yours, and you were there. So uh, go ahead and let me know what you think, and I'm gonna. I'll just add add my piece. Uh let me let me set it up just a little bit. Uh, well, first of all, I think the the suspension uh, handed to Miles Garrett was uh, was deserved. I I expected him to be suspended for the rest of the season. Um, I, I'm kind of thinking that if I were Roger Goodell um, and Miles Garrett was apologetic enough. I might lift it at the end of the regular season in the unlikely event the Browns make it into the postseason, but I doubt if that's going to happen. Mason Rudolph was extremely, extremely frustrated at that point in the game. One month earlier against the Ravens, Earl Thomas had delivered a a hit to his chin and had literally knocked him completely unconscious on the field. It was one of the scariest moments of the year in the NFL. He was out on his feet and then collapsed to the ground. Amazingly, he only missed one game being in concussion protocol. But with that in his background, he took a pretty significant uh, helmet-to-helmet shot in the second quarter that resulted in a roughing the passer penalty. He watched two of his teammates be targeted 
receivers, including Juju Smith-Schuster, and be knocked out of the game with targeted helmet-to-helmet hits. They're, they're both still in concussion protocol. He had the worst game of his career. Okay, I mean, you talk about a bad day for, oh, uh, for the Steelers I mean, and for Mason Rudolph. <laughs> he had had four interceptions all season. He threw four in that game alone against the Browns. So you get into that last drive, and all this is happening. He's frustrated. He gets sacked. Comes back the next play with, uh, I think, 40 seconds on the clock. Yep. Down 21-7. to seven. There's no way he can come back to win. The Browns blitz him. Sack him again. Then he comes back out there again with 12 seconds to play, and the Browns blitz him again. Now I don't know. I don't know the protocol. If that's sort of maybe over the top, they are dropping back to pass, so they are trying to you know trying to get yardage. So I guess it's all it's all uh, you know it's all legit. Uh, Miles Garrett wraps him up. I don't think that Miles Garrett knew that Mason Rudolph had gotten rid of the ball. Because when, when he grabbed him was just the instant that he after he let the ball go, and then he held on to him upright for two or three seconds and then sort of twisted him to the ground. And clearly Mason Rudolph took exception to it, tried to twist Miles Garrett's helmet off, then tried to bull rush him a little bit later after they were separated and he had gotten his helmet peeled off. I, I think they were both at fault. Obviously Miles Garrett was much more at fault. I think that Mason Rudolph should have been suspended for one game as well. He's going to get fined. If if Larry Okajobi was suspended a game for just pushing uh, pushing Mason Rudolph to the ground, yeah. then Mason Rudolph, in my opinion, at the very least, should have been suspended one game oh. for his part in at least accelerating the drama that we saw. No question. All right, go ahead. I, I, I agree with everything you just said. I, I definitely believe that Miles Garrett should be should have been suspended and a heavy one at that. Because you just don't do that. You just do not take a helmet against anyone uh, in, in a game or in practice. And that's where a lot of hours happened. I, I say that because it happened often. People may or may not believe that, but it happened it's combative in practice sometimes. And you just get hot. It's the nature of the game. Football will raise tempers. Uh, one guy is, you know, you're supposed to go half speed in practice. Well, then someone does something, and now you're at three-quarter speed. Well, that, now it's time to match his intensity, and now you may as well have full pads. Someone on. trying to make the team. Someone trying to make the team, and or it's late in the season and you're sore, and now someone came and became what we used to call all-winner park. I was going to try and make a great play in practice on our starting offense or starting defense, and now – are you kidding me? You're coming in here like that on on us, and you're trying to you're trying to make a play here in practice that we're just trying to get to and from, and we're trying to get the ball out so we can see if it's going to work or not. And you're just going to bring heat like that, and my elbow is sore, and my wrist is sore. And now you've got it lit up again for me. So now the next play is a fight. It's the way it goes. Helmets come off. You know, people are duking it out. The idea is to get the helmet off because. You don't want to punch the helmet. You don't want to break your hand on a helmet. It's about the dumbest thing that's ever that you could possibly do, and it hurts. And it, you know, I don't care how macho you are. You you want to make sure you grab that helmet and yank it off, and then then let it begin, right? Well, the reason I bring that up is because, and you and I talked about this earlier this afternoon, but when Miles Garrett did finally get the face mask and get a good hold on the face mask, he ripped it right off. It'll come right off if you hang on and just rip it. 
comes off. He's not going to get lit up by the quarterback. He's not going to let that happen. Uh, it's an ego game, and a defensive lineman is not going to let a, a quarterback, you know, do that in front of the hometown. So he he jumps up, and everything happens. I don't believe he hit him late or hard. No, either one, either one. There was no flag, uh, but there was, there no, was flag. no flag, and and uh, Mason Rudolph decides that it's time to get up and be mad about a really terrible game. And maybe he was half knocked out from two weeks before that. Who knows? He didn't know what he was doing. But regardless, he, uh, he, he hung out with his big buddies, his offensive linemen, and then made another fatal charge that, um, that really got things ugly. When, when Miles Garrett took the helmet off, he pulled it off knowing that where the helmet was and how he was going to swing it. And I guarantee you he knew he wasn't going to hit him with the shell of the helmet. I guarantee you he did not intend to hit him or bash him over the head with the shell side of that helmet. He hit him with the ear pads and the bottom side that he took it off his head with, right off his head. Now, he swung, the, he swung that helmet incredibly hard. And I think I, I was really surprised that it didn't cut him across the eye or at the top of the forehead because it can do that. I've seen that happen. Or catch him with a little bit of the cage, and now you're cut. But if that had been the shell, the top side of that helmet against his head, <clears throat> he would have been, he could have killed him. He could have killed him. I, and the way he swung it, he could have killed him. I know for a fact that you know in a fight what you got in your hand and how you pulled it off his head. And then he came over the top, and he winged it. Stupid. Really stupid. Really dumb. And could have injured him, but it wasn't fatal. It looked violent as all hell, but uh, but it wasn't going to do anything more than it did. Um, and I, that's my take. And look, if you're going to pass the ball, then expect heat. Um, and he got some heat, no question about it. They put him on the ground. A defensive lineman who looks at a quarterback being who who he knows he can get his hands on before he passes the ball is going to take that hit every time trying to get a sack you're always going to try and pad your your sack total for the end of the season there's a lot of incentive money for those big time pass rushers to get to 10 to get to 12 14 sacks there's big money in that i mean millions of dollars in that okay so if you if you're one of the big time sack uh featured athletes on the team one of the top defensive ends or in the league your agent's got you set up to make Realistic incentive, playing incentive based on sack totals and where you rank at the end of the year. I guarantee you if he sees the back of the quarterback and they know he's going to pass the ball and he's backed off and, and that he got the ball out, I'm with you, I don't think he ever realized that he had the ball out, but he tried to put him on the ground for a sack. Well, it didn't turn out so good for either guy. He, he had gotten rid of the ball, he was mad, and, and tempers fly. Tempers fly, and that was one of the that was one of the all time worst two man fights I've ever seen. Although being involved in some huge fights, bench clearing fights that were pretty violent, um, that was that was one of the worst I've seen on TV ever, if not the worst. Not intending to uh, you know elicit any sympathy for Miles Garrett, but being in Cleveland with the Cleveland media, with the Cleveland players. There are a lot of contradictions here, I think, that are pretty interesting. I talked about it a little bit on NFL Network uh, Friday morning. 
Now, earlier this season, Miles Garrett had a couple of fines, week one and week two, for roughing the passer. Two of them, actually, in week two. And on one of those roughing the passer penalties, Trevor Simeon broke his – not broke his ankle, but suffered a season-ending ankle injury when Garrett took, took him to the ground on a, on a roughing the passer penalty. So he's got – he had all that in his background, right? Fined a total, I think, $50,000 in the first two weeks. But he is incredibly popular uh, with the media – he is a captain of the Browns team and only his, what is his third year, I think? I Maybe think his third. second year. His second year or third year? I want to say third. Um, the archivist might know. The um, second or third year for, for Miles, Miles Garrett. Garrett. Second year, I believe, right? And he's already a captain? Third year. Third year, okay. He was 2017. Okay. Um, Enough said. Chris Long is one of the most philanthropic guys in the NFL. Pretty much so, yeah. He's got a, uh, a charitable organization that he calls the Water Boys. And uh, their role is to uh, build facilities in Africa that provide clean water to communities that desperately need clean water. Uh, he was looking for some player in the NFL that had uh, an impeccable reputation to head up and be the player captain for his Water Boys organization, and he handpicked Miles Garrett to lead that charge. So. You know, I mean, this is a guy a that, that is this way off the field, right? He goes on mission trips. He's extremely charitable in the community and things like that. But yet the switch can flip when he's on the field in a violent game, and he, he apparently has trouble controlling that side of it. Uh, I, I, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I thought about this right after I saw it, and I thought, of all people, I mean, I thought Miles – Garrett doing something like that is just, you know, it was beyond me. I, I mean, I, you can sack your quarterback, hurt his ankle, do whatever, wrap him up wrong, and end up laying across their ankles. Now you hurt someone earlier in the, in the season. I get that. It's part of the game. But, I mean, you're, when you put him down, you're going to put him down hard. But this, this incident just did not reflect the kind of football player or human being that I thought he was. I, I, I have heard him speak to the media and otherwise, and day of the draft, and all that other stuff. And he's very well spoken, a very articulate young man, and and uh, respected in the community. I used to play in Cleveland, and the, the the buzz on him was that he was really something in the community day one when he got there. And and it seemed like that. It seemed like at any time I'd ever seen him after a game inter interview or whatever the case, is that he's. He's a, a one of those kinds of guys. He's got himself uh, his head on straight. Well, th this is not this is not the kind of behavior of a guy that's got his head on straight. In fact, he tried to rearrange Mason Rudolph's <laughs> head, but uh, it, it but it was surprising to me. It was uh, definitely a character, uh, you know, issue. It was conflicting his 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 real character, I think. And he, so he must have an issue with with temper. Yeah, he expressed remorse. He met with the NFL. Uh, meanwhile, as we tape this. Uh, on Wednesday, Mason Rudolph issued a statement today for the first time. He sort of uh, did a little bit of a mea, mea culpa. He said, looking back on the final play of the game, second to last play of the game, I felt short of the mark. I should have done a better job of keeping my cool in that situation. Uh, in, re in retrospect, I put Marquise Pouncey in a tough spot as well as my teammates. The way I saw it on the final play of the game with the game in hand the way it was, we'd already lost two players to targeting penalties. 
I took a late shot as I released the ball. I did not agree with the way he took me to the ground. My natural reaction was to get him off the top of me. Again, I should have done a better job in handling that situation. I have no ill will toward Miles Garrett, and I know if Miles could go back, he would handle the situation differently. As for my involvement, there's no acceptable excuse. Um, so there, good for him. Good reporting too. Uh, that that's uh, you know I, I just find that amazing. I I saw him being interviewed on TV, uh, but I couldn't hear what was coming out. Uh, I was just on the floor at at uh, Lifetime, and I I could see that he was he seemed very heartfelt at the microphone at the podium, uh, making that statement. But um, there's no question that both guys. Uh, were out of line. There's no question. And uh, I think one guy maybe got the brunt of it uh, because he's the bigger guy, the defensive lineman, and, oh, it doesn't hurt when, when you're also the guy that swings a helmet as hard as you can at somebody. But If he had um, hit him with the crown of the helmet, it would have sounded a little like this. <laughs> it would have, that would have been his brains. You could have heard his brains rattling. And as Lesnar used to say, it's awfully hard to unscramble scrambled eggs. It was it was. Just amazing. Um, I hope they both learn from that. They're going to be sitting out there with a little less pocket change. I don't know what that's going to come to, but both teams were fined $250,000. And for Mason Rudolph to go out and say, look, I put my two offensive linemen in a a pretty bad position, yes. I mean, you're kind of coached up to take care of your quarterback. I mean, that's kind of the unwritten rule is – Someone takes a cut at him. Someone does something to your quarterback. You go over there and handle your business right away. Take care of take care of that. Uh, anyone seen not going over there to take care of that is, you know, they're talked to in the in the offensive lineman room uh, by the offensive line coach. If you don't go over, it was a written rule in our in our room that you go over and take care and handle the whatever happened to your quarterback. It's not going to happen. You just make a statement right then and there. It doesn't matter what the fines are. So that happened all right. And so he got his guys, you know, uh, at least Pouncey uh, suspended. And the Pouncey brothers like to fight. I mean, that that's just their, that's in their DNA as well. So uh, both of them, a couple of great centers, really good players when they're not injured or pulling stunts like that. That's all the time we've got. Uh, we're going to take a bye week right now. Um, uh, we, uh, we have – uh, climb the mountain, and uh, the Vikings are on top, looking pretty good right now. It's eight and three, right? Yes, that's pretty. Good. And the Packers are eight and two. Everyone's played a different number of games. The Bears are like three and six. They only played like nine games. I don't know. And Detroit is just sitting there at the bottom again, bottom feeders. Uh, but anyway, three and seven. Um, that's it, though. We're gonna uh, report back to you when uh, we have a game. Okay. That'll be the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle at CenturyLink. Uh, And so, for the NFL Network's uh, Randy Moss and uh, the big voice, the archivist, Manny Hill, I am the superstar, Mike Morris. We'll talk to you next time uh, after we face the Seattle Seahawks uh, in Game 12, okay? Skull Vikes.